Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. So it is the season of Lent, the first Sunday of Lent. I've uh, just was still blown away and just blessed uh, for of our uh, Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday night. If some of you were were here for one of those services, either at noon or at seven o'clock, and it was so good just to to be back in the sanctuary, doing that again. Just thinking two Lents ago, or yeah, two Lents ago, we were in the middle of the whole shutdown thing, and we were worshiping online and you know we had the ash wednesday service and then we had uh the next sunday and then we were online and we uh, did easter online and then last year we did easter in the in outside in front of the sanctuary and this year i'm just excited that we are back and we're going to be doing our three easter services at 8 30 9 45 and 11 o'clock this year um when I think about the season of Lent, I, I, I think about how it is a, a season of reflection, how, how it is a season where, where we are mindful of who and whose we really are. We, we remember the fact that, as we say on Ash Wednesday, from dust you came and from dust you shall return. But it's also a reminder of thinking about God's great love for us, sending Jesus Christ to die for us so that we may have life and that we may have life abundantly. So as we prepare to hear God's word this morning, I invite you to go to God in prayer with me. Let us pray. Oh Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. Help us to remember that, God. Help us to remember as we begin this uh, season of Lent that you are ours and we are yours and that you have created us in your image. And sometimes it's easy to, to use those terms that for dust you came, the dust you shall return to, to make it feel like that we aren't worth anything. But God, the fact of the matter is the season reminds us that we are worth a great price. The price that your son paid when he came to teach and to lead and to die and to rise again. That was for us. So Lord, as we begin this series and as we begin this time together, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You know, I love bumper stickers. I, I, I love them to a point. Let's, let's put it that way. I remember growing up, whenever I was getting ready to, to drive my first car, you know, mom and dad bought me a car, and, and it was a, a 76 Dodge Aspen, which was a really awesome car to have in uh, 1987, 1989. And uh, love loved that little car. And 
I know I wanted to put a bumper sticker on this car. And I told my mom and dad that I wanted to put a bumper sticker on, on my car, and my dad just got livid. No, don't you dare put a bumper sticker on a car because that'll immediately knock down the value of the car. Even though it was a 1976 Dodge Jasmine, it really wasn't worth that much anyway. But that, that made me think about, you know, either later, whenever I paid and, and bought my own car, I realized I'm not putting anything on this car. I don't, I don't want anything on the bumper. I don't want to have anything. Uh, kind of a funny story. Uh, my, our middle son, Tim, up in Manhattan, Kansas, he was uh, doing an interview for his sports position. And while he was at Manhattan High School, he came out and somebody put this big old giant bumper sticker on the back of his car that he just bought for himself. And he was so, so mad. He, so he, he hated what was written on the bumper sticker. I won't tell you what was written on the bumper sticker, but he hated it. And he couldn't get the bumper sticker off, so he took a black Sharpie, like so with this big old black Sharpie bumper sticker that was on there. And when he came down for Christmas, uh, Trace and I, we finally got the goo gone, and we wiped it all off for him, so it was bumper sticker free. Man, that was a rabbit trail. Sorry about that. But, you know, some of these bumper stickers give us a view and a picture of, of how, we, how we view things, how we see life. And there's a whole subset of Christian bumper stickers out there. And, and when you see these bumper stickers, you, you see a, a certain point of view or, or how people may see things, like this one right here. Have you seen this bumper sticker? In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You know, I see that one. I just shake my head whenever I see that one a little bit. There's, then there's this one right here. This one's one of my favorites. Do you follow Jesus Christ this closely? That one always, that always makes me laugh. This next one, don't go to it yet, uh, Brady. But this next one here, inherently, it's not a bad bumper sticker. But I think this next bumper sticker gives us not a complete picture of what the Christian life is all about. Now, whenever you see this, you'll, you'll might nod and go, okay, I understand this bumper sticker. I understand what it says, but to me, it, it, there's something missing. And we're going to talk about how, what that something exactly is. We'll go ahead and put it up here. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Now, I think most of us here, we look at that and go, well, yeah, that's true. I'm not perfect. There's no way I'll ever be perfect. But I am thankful for the forgiveness that I have received through, through Jesus Christ. But if that is where you keep it, you really miss out on what it is that God has for each and every one of us. When we, when it sets the bar for me really, really low that, that, that we are forgiven and then, and then that's it. We don't have to worry about anything else. We don't have to do anything else. We're, we're forgiven and, and, and we can just live our lives on and then when we mess up again, we can just say, oh, well, God, I'm sorry. You're forgiven again. And the cycle continues over and over and over again. 
My hope and prayer is that as we move through this Lenten season, it'll help us to look at our relationship with Jesus in a way that sees that, that we are more than just forgiven people. Let me say that again. We are more than just forgiven people, that we were made and created and live in relationship with God that gives us so much more than what the world can offer us. Now, our scripture for today, I I had fun with this with our staff as I passed out my sermon sheets for, for this series. And actually, Lori and I were having fun going back and forth with this scripture because it's so short. It's not even a full scripture, not even a full full, uh, full uh, verse. It's the very first part of 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 3, part A. And that's on purpose. Because if I were to continue, not to saying that the rest of the verse isn't important or, or what follows that verse is important, but if we were to continue on and, and think about that passage and, and read past it, and I encourage you to do that later, we would get tied up into those things about the second part of the passage. We would start looking about, well, what exactly does Jesus mean by this? And, and how do we dissect this? And how does that impact my life? But the fact of the matter is, as we begin the season of Lent, and as we talk about how we are made for this life with God, the very first part of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, part A, gives us the best picture that we can receive. Go ahead, Brady, and put that up there. Our scripture for this Sunday is, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Think about that. Think about that passage just for a little bit. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, sanctified, that's one of those fancy million-dollar Christian words that we have out there. And sometimes we may need a little definition for, for exactly what exactly sanctification is. We actually, just confirmation class, we just uh, got done going over the, what sanctification is. And I know I have a confirmation student that I see he's putting his head down like that. I'm not going to call on you, so don't worry about it. But, but sanctification goes along with, with the means of grace. We, we talk a lot about pervenient grace. That's the grace that, that God has for us before we even know who God is. And then there's justification, the justifying grace. That's the, the grace that, that Jesus Christ did for us as he, as he died on the cross to forgive us for our sins. And we, we have a tendency as a church to, to really hold on to those two views of grace, and we forget all about sanctification. And the way, one of the ways that I would define what sanctification would be like this. Sanctification means that we start to think like Jesus. Sanctification means that we begin to relate to others like Jesus related to others. Sanctification means that we can know the Father just like Jesus knew the Father. 
and then sanctification means that we obey the Father just like Jesus obeyed the Father. Sanctification is, is the way that we can grow in our faith and, and our understanding of what God has done and what, what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And it encourages us and it, it spurs us on to, to change the way that we live our lives, to live our lives fully and wholly devoted to God. Fully devoted to God and to do what Jesus has done. That's why this, the, the, the name of this series is the Jesus-shaped life. Sanctification allows us to, to have a life that is shaped just like Jesus. And the good news for us is that God gives each and every one of us the power to fulfill his will for us. But we have to remember, it, it starts out in one place. It starts out with repentance. So, okay, there it goes. Pastor Chris has said that word, repentance. It's time to me to start feeling bad for, for things that I've done. And you know, that's not what repentance is about. Repentance is not about guilt. Repentance is not about seeing how many times we can call down things that are bad or, or bad things that we have done. I may have shared this story with you before about my brother and my cousin and I as we were growing up. We would, we would do this thing where we would you know, do what cousins do, hit each other, do, do mean things with each other, and then we would get to a point where one of us would have enough and said, okay, God is really going to get you for that. And we'll, you know, roll our heads, and then they would say, okay, he's getting out his book. He's opening up the page to your name. And we're you know, defined as we can, just standing there, and he's getting ready to get a pen. He's going to write down by your name. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The whole idea of repentance was so that we wouldn't get caught or, or that we wouldn't be punished. But my friends, that is such a, a faulty view of repentance. Repentance means that we change our minds and then change our direction. In other words, we stop going our way and we turn to go God's direction instead. It means that, that we are opening ourselves up to be transformed. To, to not live a life that we have lived in the past, but we live a new and full life. A life of passion. A life of compassion. A life of hope. A life of peace. A life of joy. All of those things is what it means to live and to repent. My friends, it's something that Jesus preached about a lot in the Gospels. His very first sermon in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had just come back from the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And, and after he is tempted, he, he starts preaching. And his very first sermon, he says these words, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And you can see those words repeated in the Gospel of, of Luke, too. But throughout all of the passages, time and time again, Jesus continues to tell his listeners of the necessity to repent. And repentance wasn't to feel bad for what you did, but the repentance was to turn your life around and live your life that God has given you. This repentance was so important that it was a theme that was continued throughout the book of Acts. Shortly after the second chapter of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in the upper room, Peter starts to, to preach. And if you go into Acts chapter 3, Peter continues this theme of, of telling those around him that they must repent and turn to God. Repentance is wonderful because it reminds us that we are no longer slaves to our sins, but we are now bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Or as 1 John 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. See, that is good news. That is repentance, knowing that we have turned our lives around and we are fully living in God's grace and the grace that God has for each and every one of us. But there is a bit of truth that we must remember. It's that it is something that we will never be forced to accept, even though we were made for God's grace, God will never force that grace upon us. It, it, it's like a dance. You, you must have a partner to dance with. God, God has a part and we have a part. Our part is that we must be willing to change. We must be willing to say, I am ready to turn and, and, and follow you. But we don't have that power within ourselves. That's when the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. And the Holy Spirit only enters when the Holy Spirit is welcomed. God's not going to force us to change if we are intent on going our own way. I can't think, I can think of so many times where I feel like I want things to go my own way and, and I want to have things the way it's easy for me. It's kind of like how I mentioned earlier in our prayers. It's so easy to want to be focused and wrapped up on what makes me comfortable, what, what makes me happy, what, what gives me the full, of, full uh, life and, and advantage. But when we want to focus all on ourselves, then we we are not allowing God to change us into who he wants us to be. There's a theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer who has a lot of great things to say about God, but I love this quote that he has about repentance. He says, God will take nine steps towards us. I'm sorry, I forgot to fix that between services. God will take nine steps towards us, but he will not take the tenth. 
He will incline us to repent, but he cannot do our repenting for us. Let me say that again. God will take nine steps towards us, but he will not take the tenth. He will incline us to repent, but he cannot do our repentance for us. See, God will continue to find ways to to move into our lives. That way we can see his presence, his love, his grace active in and around us, but it is up to us to take that final step to repent and live the life God has called us to live. That's kind of what the season of Lent is all about. Season of Lent gives us the opportunity to take that, that final step, to say, God, I need you fully in my life. How can I live my life in your grace and your love? Over the season of Lent, in your bulletin, if you have one, you may see a sheet like this that has notes on one side, and the other side is a spiritual practice. Each week, I will give you a spiritual practice for you to, to try on, to, to see if it fits. Now, I want you to remember, as it says at the very top of this page, practice grace when you do this. Think of it as a, a starting place. The practices aren't something to be perfect, or they aren't something to perfect, but to experience a lifelong journey with Christ. So don't, don't give yourself a pass-fail on this. Give it a, I'm going to give it a try, and, and hopefully I will experience God through this. If it's not this practice, maybe it's another practice that I can try. But one of the things that I think is very important as we begin the season of Lent together is to remember that sometimes we need to spend time in silence and solitude. The world is a noisy world. There are so many things that are, that are harboring for our attention, whether it's our smartphones or whether it's the radio or TV or even billboards on the side of the road. All of these things are trying to focus our attention so that we buy things or we vote for things or we, you name it, whatever. It's all there to try to get our attention to do what they want us to do. But the fact with solitude and silence, it it calms things down so that we may hear from God and what God is calling us to do in our lives. And unfortunately, as Jan Johnson says, that most of the time, a distraction committee will come along and, and camp out in your head. And she gives an example of what some of the different distraction committees are, and I'll tell you what my distraction committee is. My distraction committee that I deal with most of all is the distraction committee that says, Chris, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for, for this. You, you're, you're not good enough to receive what God has for you. You're not good enough to be where you are. You, you have failed so many times. And it is something that you just have to deal with and realize that you're probably going to fail at this too. Jan mentions, when that happens, invite the inner committee members to leave. A gentle approach works the best. 
And that is a primary skill needed to hear God in solitude and silence. So when I hear, Chris, you're not good enough. Chris, you, you failed so many times before. What makes you think you can do this again? The way that I quiet the inner committee inside of me, the distraction committee inside of me, I remind myself that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live in God's unshakable kingdom. God's kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. So the two practices that I have is one is meditating on a passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 30, and then the other part is just to sit and spend time with God and ask God this question, what do I need to know from you right now? Not what do I need to know about what's going to happen with my family, you know, next week or, or how things are going to pan out with my job or, or all of those type of things. What is it do I need to know from you right now? And I believe God will answer. And if nothing, com- nothing happens, simply enjoy God focusing on what you love most about God while distracting, when distracting thoughts come. The season of Lent, I invite you to spend time in God's presence. It may be a minute, it may be five minutes, it may be ten minutes, but I can guarantee you that time you spend will God opens up the opportunity for you to hear from Him and to allow His love and grace to pour out on you. That's why I love this table. This table gives us the opportunity to hear from God. We, we are here in community. We are here sharing in this blessedness that God has given us as we eat the bread and as we drink the wine, as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and knowing that Christ will come again to fill us and to lead us so that we may live safe and secure in his kingdom. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, as we begin this season of Lent, we ask that you remind us of your love. Remind us that that you desire us as 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 reminds us, you desire all of us to be sanctified, to be made holy, to, to, to speak like you, to act like you, to welcome like you, to give grace, to give peace just like you. So Lord, may this act of communion on this first Sunday of Lent Open a way for us to receive who you are. Somebody we may walk safe and secure in your kingdom right here and right now. And so we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.